going on? Happy Monday. Pete Callender here. Apparently, the silly season, it actually never ends. Yeah, the silly season, politics, right? The election, it's uh, its getting underway. We got the early voting starting up this week. And um, we've already had the absentee balloting. People have been sending in their ballots by mail. Um, and uh, this is from uh, Devon Barber, who finished second to Bo Hines in the GOP primary for North Carolina District 13. So Bo Hines, Republican, uh, running against Wiley Nickel, uh, the Obama guy. And uh, that's in the 13th Congressional District. Devon Barber announcing today he is running for the seat in 2024. <laughs> so <laughs> we're not even like we're not we don't even have somebody in the seat now. We don't even have somebody that won this election. And Devon Barber's already announced for 2024. So the silly season, it's just going to be in perpetuity forever and ever. Politics, uh, the cycle will never end, I guess. Um, what else we got on the election front? We've got some uh, tallying of the early votes or yeah, the absentee uh, ballots that have been coming in so far. Uh, this is from Mike Rusher. And I believe he works. Does he still work at the legislature? Native North Carolina Observer, Skeptic Economica. The results company. Okay, so I guess he's a consultant now. Um, I thought he used to work. Maybe not. I don't know. Mike Rusher, he's a consultant uh, for Republicans in the uh, in Raleigh. And uh, he says, are Democratic voters outpacing historic 2018 performance? Right? You can look at some of the returns that have come in. We, obviously, we don't know how the people voted. But we can look at the percentages of the ballots that have come back in. Who's requested them, you know, the, the ones that show back up. And we can kind of get a read on how things are going as we start early voting, in-person early voting. Oh, by the way, if you haven't registered to vote yet and you want to do the registration at the one-stop early voting, you have to bring a, uh, a photo ID. It's true. It's totally true. Not racist, as I understand it. This is not racist. If you are signing up, if you're registering to vote at the early vote site, uh, that's when ID to vote is not racisty. Okay, so uh, what are the returns showing us right now? So by comparison, 2018 was a good year for Democrats in uh, in in their uh, election prospects, and back then you had in the early voting. Now remember, this was pre-COVID. We saw lots of people voting by mail. Absent, we call it ABM absentee by mail uh, in North Carolina. So uh, 2018, you did not have uh, that familiarity with the absentee mailing system that everybody got familiar with during COVID, right, in 2020. So 2018 is the comparison. It's a, it's a non-presidential year. It's a midterm election. And at that time, 12,000 voted. For comp- like you're comparing the same time periods, 12,000 in 2018. We have now seen three times as many returns, 36,000 right now. Okay, so let's break down. What are we looking at in 2018? This was a very big uh, Democrat year, right? 2018, I believe. So 43%, 43% of the returns were Democrat. 
27% Republican, 30% unaffiliated. Right now, it's for this year, by comparison, Democrats now make up 50% of the early voting instead of 43. So they picked up a percent, they picked up seven points. Republicans are about 27 points uh, in uh, two years or four years ago. Now it's 16%. So they lost 10 points. And the unaffiliateds, uh, about the same, 33 to 30%. So they, they gained a little bit more, but that's it. Now, if you go over to Real Clear Politics, they do, uh, and you know me, I don't uh, focus on individual polls. I look at trend lines. Real Clear Politics is a pretty good uh, trend line aggregator, right? Because they'll take all of the polls and they kind of average them all together, which kind of smooths out some of the outliers, right? You you get more data in there and you kind of get a better sense of where the polling is going. And it shows about a 1.8% uh, pro-Republican lean versus prior years, right? Versus, like the last time around, Democrats had like an 8% or something like that. So the real clear politics average is favorable to Republicans. Also, um, in September, independent voters, particularly women independent voters, said they favored Democrats by 14 percentage points. That has now swung towards Republicans 18 percentage point difference now. So that is what a 32 percent swing among independent or you know self-identifying independent women voters in just one month. They went pro-Democrat 14 percent, and now they're pro-Republican 18 uh, percent. That has got to be concerning for. Democrats, I'm going to get into some of the uh, the judicial races here. Uh, the Supreme Court, there was a big write-up at Smoky Mountain News about the candidates. So in case you have not voted yet, and if you're a Republican, chances are you have not. By the way, there isn't anything where I, know, I understand there are a lot of people on the Republican side that are like, you know, I only vote on Election Day. And, and I mean, that's fine. I'm not telling you what to do. You know me. I, like, I don't tell you how to live your life. I would just suggest that if you know who you want to vote for, it makes sense to bank the vote early, right? Now, there is a downside that if you go and you make your votes and then some scandal erupts, you can't do anything about that, right? That's the counter argument that you wait until Election Day. So this way, if there's anything, you know, like uh, like your preferred candidate takes a picture, you know, at a barbecue that's not on. And he's got tongs and he claims to be making pulled pork, right? Like that kind of thing, right? Or, or a spatula. And he's ma- he says he's making pulled pork barbecue on like a gas Weber grill. Uh, you know, something like that. Or yes, okay, maybe, uh, you know, having the affairs or something. That too, right? So a late-breaking story, you won't have a chance to vote accordingly. But if that doesn't matter to you and you're okay, you want this, you want a particular uh, candidate in, it makes sense to bank the vote early just so this way if something happens to you, like, you know, God forbid you get you know incapacitated in some way, you can't make it to the polls on Election Day itself, and then you, you don't get any vote counted, right? So uh, there is a benefit. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I, I'll go and cast my vote early so it's, uh, so it's in there. I generally wait to the end of the early voting uh, period, but I do prefer that because then I can go on my own schedule. Um, 
House Republicans are increasingly confident that they can make unexpected inroads into some solidly Democratic congressional districts, including in some of the bluest states in the country, California, Connecticut, New York, Oregon, and Rhode Island. These are the states where the GOP is now pouring over $25 million into some of the bluest political battlegrounds on the map. That is seen, according to Josh Crusher, I think is how he pronounces that, over at Axios.com. Uh, he says this is a fresh sign that the political winds favor the GOP down the stretch. One common denominator in all of the blue state races, crime. Crime. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. One common denominator in the blue state races that Republicans now think they can actually compete in. States like California, Connecticut, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, $25 million getting pumped into these states that are like the bluest of the blue political battlegrounds. Why? Well, in a word, crime. Murders have been on the rise in major metro areas within these states and near the districts, and the GOP's advertising has been hitting Democrats over bail reform, reallocating... Re- oh, hang on a second. Uh, what was the Hornets' name? Uh, the, our Hornets, uh, one of our Hornets players just got arrested for a DUI. Who is it? James Booknight. Was he arrested at night? And they booked him at night? Wow, kind of like, couldn't see that one coming. Um, for like a DUI and a gun. Yeah. Oh, Hornets. Has the season started? No. Oh, it starts this week. That's fantastic. That's what, what, a, what, what a great way to kick off a new season. Charlotte is so lucky. All right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, bail reform. Reallocating resources away from police because you don't call it defund the police anymore because that didn't go over very well. So we're going to call it reallocation of resources away from police, which is totally not the same thing as defunding them. Obviously, defunding does not mean reallocating money away from something. Right. Like, for example, if you've got a very large ice cream cone budget like the president. Like, you have a very large budget to go out and, or, okay, Speaker Pelosi, you have a very large ice cream budget. And uh, you're like, hey, you know what? I'm getting a little fat, or, uh, hey, I lost my job, so maybe I need to defund the ice cream budget, right? That would look totally different than reallocating resources away from the ice cream budget. Totally different scenario. Um, also, there is a, an overall sense of disorder. Reports Axios.com. I wonder why. It's a mystery. We may never know. Another factor, according to one Republican official analyzing internal data, is that abortion isn't quite as motivating of an issue anymore. Voters are more confident that reproductive rights are secure in states where Republicans are in the minority. Think about that, right? So if you're in California, New York, You're not motivated by the abortion topic because your state's run by Democrats and they're not going to do anything about it, right? They're not going to change the laws to make abortions outlawed or more restrictions in place or anything like that. So, yeah, not as motivated and it's not a compelling issue. It's not a persuasive issue. And if that's not going to persuade you or motivate you to turn out to vote, what else are the Democrats really offering here? 
right? Also, none of the blue states have hotly contested Senate races that are driving up turnout, a dynamic that benefits Republicans. One House GOP strategist told Axios that their candidates are overperforming in these blue states, but not yet pulling away in typical swing districts where higher Democratic uh, engagement has kept races closer. So you got that going on. And then you've got, it's a topic we've covered a couple different ways, but it continues to uh, give Democrats headaches. This comes from the Washington Examiner. Recent polling indicated that 57% of Texas Hispanics, 57% of Texas Hispanics and 60% of South Texas Hispanics want to see tougher border enforcement. <gasps> I know, they apparently they turned all racisty, xenophobic. That's because the small and medium-sized towns that line Texas's border with Mexico are in a crisis caused entirely by the neglect of the Biden administration. President Joe Biden threw away years of serious diplomacy and essentially put up a welcome, the border is open sign when he abandoned Trump's remain-in-Mexico policy for asylum seekers. The consequences have been devastating. By the way, Tim Young, the comedian, on Twitter, uh, Tim Runs His Mouth, I believe is what uh, his handle is, Uh, he said, today's a great day to send more asylum seekers to Martha's Vineyard in New York City and Chicago. (laughs) Um, With the South Texas region being overrun by illegal border crossers, Hispanic Americans living there have learned precisely the same lessons about the Democratic Party that so many other white working class voters learned over the past 10 years. The Democrats are extremely arrogant, blinded by ideology, lacking in substance, and unwilling to listen to anyone, least of all the people and groups whose votes they've long taken for granted. So the Hispanic exodus from the Democratic Party is not all about the border, Nor is the transformation taking place only in Texas. A lot of Hispanic voters are realizing, also, in the Democratic Party's new era of unrestrained wokeness, that the party has moved so far leftward and done so so quickly that nobody in the country can keep up. It shouldn't come as a shock that the party of unrestricted ninth-month abortions and the poisoning and mutilation of kids in the name of transgenderism is suddenly getting a cool reception among a demographic that's known for valuing family morals and education, right? If you want a modern analogy, the editorial board at the Washington Examiner says, consider West Virginia 2014. Democratic Party have been propped up for decades in that state by... Working class white voters. And then it wasn't, right? All at once. All at once. They gutted the Democratic Party. They just completely eliminated all these office holders. They elected Republican supermajorities in the state legislature. Hispanic voters have a nearly identical demographic profile. And they are being repulsed by a Democratic Party every bit as incompatible with their values, too. The same poll of Texas Hispanics referenced above shows that Hispanics have attitudes that are simply incompatible with those of the Democratic Party. Here's here's the rub. Hispanic voters are, quote, too patriotic for America, identifying themselves primarily as American. Forty three percent identify primarily as American. Another 23 percent identify primarily as Texan. So add them together. You're two thirds. 
It's only 23% identify first or primarily as Latino or Hispanic. They still believe in hard work as a positive thing. And it's a value that they overwhelmingly associate with the GOP. 61% of them are bothered by the direction of the Democratic Party. And what they're learning is the Democratic Party's soul has new ownership. It is the property of atheistic, wealthy, woke white people. Yeah, the awfuls. The awfuls. The AWFLs. I love this term because it's so accurate and it's fun to say. Affluent, white, female, liberal. That's, that's the driving core demographic uh, in Democratic Party leadership. The most swingable uh, demographic in voting, your right-leaning, independent, middle-of-the-road female voters. As I mentioned earlier with the, the flip that we saw from September to October. It's a 30-something point shift from Democrats away towards Republicans. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of concern on the uh, Democratic side of the aisle, which is probably why somebody started smearing Lauren Boebert as a dog murderer. And uh, that's not true, apparently. So just a heads up on that if you see that story. No, she did not murder the neighbor's dog that was attacking her goats. I feel silly even having to say these words, but here we are. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, by the way. The phone number is 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Uh, a heads up, a reminder, Saturday, we have another walk to end Alzheimer's. This one is in Charlotte. It's at Truist Field, 9 a.m. until noon. This one's really cool because the uh, the finish line is on home plate. At the field, at the ballpark. So uh, if you would like to uh, participate, uh, you can go to their website, alz.org, alz.org, uh, and find the uh, the walk. That's going to be uh, in Charlotte Saturday, 9 a.m. till noon. Um, I believe I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to try to make it there. I'm planning on being there. I got to check with my scheduler, my boss, Christy. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, cause I want to see the home plate, uh, the finish line. Uh, all right. So the North Carolina Supreme court, is going to be deciding whether the North Carolina general assembly is going to have to redraw state election maps again. Oh my gosh. I don't even know how many maps they've drawn at this point. There are so many maps, so many maps that have been drawn. The state's highest court. Recently heard oral arguments and um, the court's decision in Harper v. Hall, that's the name of the case, will not actually change the maps for this year's elections, right, which are getting ready to start here. Well, it's already underway. The early voting or the absentee uh, balloting is already underway. The early voting starts on Thursday. Uh, so this is not going to impact this election. The ruling would apply to the 2024 election cycle. Which is why the Democrats on the state Supreme Court in a 4-3 party line ruling accelerated the case to get it before them before November. Now, if you're confused by what I just said, 
Yeah, you're not. It means you're not. It, yeah, you're not thinking politically. They wanted the case ahead of the November election because they know they're probably going to get wiped out. And then the Supreme Court is going to flip to a Republican majority and then they won't get to issue the ruling that the Democrats want. So they accept they, they fast tracked this case so they could hear it before this election, even though it's not going to impact this election. There's no reason for them to have fast tracked it and uh, do an end run around the appellate court. But they did in a blatantly partisan, politically motivated move. That's what that was. They did it with the voter ID case as well. They heard both of those cases the other day and they accelerated them for the same reason. They're worried about losing. Well, they got to hold both of the seats. They got two seats on the Supreme Court that they hold right now and are both on the ballot. The other five are not up for election uh, this year. But the two of them that are are both held by Democrats. One's retiring, one's running for reelection, and they're afraid if they lose one of those seats, just one, they lose the majority. And then they won't get to write the majority opinion that they want to write on voter ID and election map drawing. Do you think this might have something to do with why people look at the court now as politicized? Oh, I know media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, they, uh, they're always, you know, talking about uh, the politicization of the courts being due to the inclusion of party labels next to the judges' names. Because we had party labels for a very long time in the state, and then they changed it to take them off of the ballot, so then you didn't know if they were Democrats or Republicans. And by the way, Democrats did that because they, they were in charge at the time, and they did that because they found that they could win more races if people didn't know they were Democrats. I'm not kidding. That's no joke. No joke. Where's my ice cream? No, like that's seriously. They said people tend to vote for Republicans, conservatives for the judicial races. And so rather than give people the heuristic, that's what that's called. The If you don't know anything about a candidate and you're going in to vote, right, and uh, you see the D or the R next to their name, that's a heuristic. It's a signal. It says, okay, I can make an assumption about what this person's judicial philosophy is based on their party affiliation, right? It's a shorthand way of knowing or thinking you know, because you don't obviously know how they're going to rule on every case, but you have an understanding of their judicial philosophy because Democrats and Republicans, much like girls and boys, are different. They're different. There's a different animating judicial philosophy. And that's what the D and the R represents if you don't know anything else about these candidates. And honestly, it's kind of hard to know stuff about the candidates because they can't comment on cases. They won't t- they won't tell you how they would rule on stuff. That's a violation of the judicial code of ethics. So they don't talk about cases. So they talk kind of vaguely about, you know, the constitution and the law, but they can all say the same things like that, right? They can all lie, for example. They can all lie and say, "I'm just going to be here to you know, make sure that the laws aren't unconstitutional. And, oh, okay, well, that's good. Yeah, but then when you, like, you know, come up with some multi-pronged tests just because you want to get to a ruling that you wanted to get to, so you devise an entire regime in order to do, which is what the Democrat majority just did with the maps on the la- on the other case, which was, like, more versus somebody other, whatever. 
there was another redistricting case that they heard like about a month ago. And that's what they came up with that ruling where they just devised this test. So they just make stuff up and then they say, oh, well, it's in the law. It's constitutional. And here's some precedent and starry decisis and blah, blah, blah. So they rationalize their way to get to the ruling that they want. Right. So I think it's important to know if they're a Democrat or Republican, because I don't know anything about how they actually are going to apply their judicial philosophy. And that's what the D's and the R's do for me. That's what when I see the D's and the R's, I have more comfort with a Republican judge than a Democrat judge, because Republican judges tend not to make up stuff. They don't. They tend not to make up stuff. They like they look at the law and they're like, this is what that law says. I don't like it, but that's what you guys wrote. Change it legislatively, as is proper. Plaintiffs tied to the left-of-center activist groups that are challenging the maps. Uh, this is for the uh, House and Senate races in the, at the state level. Uh, legislative leaders have challenged a court-imposed map for state congressional elections. Right, Those are the two different cases. The standard for constitutionality is whether voters of all political parties have substantially equal opportunity to translate votes into seats. That, according to Elizabeth Theodore, one of the two lawyers speaking for the leftist groups. Do you have equal opportunity to translate votes into seats? Again, I don't I don't know how you know these things. I just went over in the first half of the show here uh, the 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 swing in. Independent women, moderate Republican women who just swung from Democrats to Republicans and made up a large portion of the 34-point swing. How do you have any kind of clarity on stuff like that? Candidates matter. Campaigns matter. Right? Factors in an election matter. In a party-line vote back in February, the state Supreme Court Democrats threw out the original maps that state lawmakers had drawn up. Lawmakers submitted new maps to the three-judge trial court panel, and that group accepted revised maps. They call them remedial maps, so remedy, right? Remedial maps for the House and the Senate. The panel rejected the remedial congressional map and put in its own map that was drawn by the, quote, special masters. This is the district that was essentially gifted to baby Jesus, Jeff Jackson. District 14. Although Pat Harrigan, he's running against him, running against Jackson. Man, it would be nice to see Harrigan win. That would be funny. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. There are two associate justice seats open on the North Carolina State Supreme Court. Seven total seats. Two of them are open. Right, or up for election, I should say. Um, Right now, Democrats control four of the seven. But the party has to win both of these elections to maintain that advantage. It's 4-3. Both of the seats that are up right now are occupied by Democrats. So if they lose just one of those races, then they lose their majority. As Election Day nears, writes Kyle Parati from uh, Smoky Mountain News, Republicans are looking more like they'll end up flipping the court by winning at least one of the two seats, which, as I mentioned earlier, is why the court fast-tracked the voter ID and the redistricting cases because they know they can read the polls too. They know that they're in trouble and they want to make these rulings before the Republicans get control of the court. So later on, Kyle asks the question, 
or raises the question that many are asking, which, again, whenever reporters say many people are saying or many question, whatever, that's, it's a way that, like, they're saying that, <laughs> right? Uh, some say many people think you do. Many people are asking, are the courts becoming too politicized? I don't know. I, I, I don't. But I also know that the left seems to be taking, like, every single issue to the courts. So I'm not sure that if the courts are being politicized, it's the fault of slapping the D or the R on the ballot next to the candidates' names. I don't think that's the reason why. I think that in particularly North Carolina, I think that they're becoming more politicized because the left doesn't have another avenue with which to advance its agenda. It, it can't do it legislatively, which in this state, the legislature reigns supreme. The legislature is the seminal authority. It created the towns. It can take them out. Seriously, it can uh, it can remove a city's charter if it wants to. I'm not saying they would, but but they could. Um, they can impose all sorts of things on counties, on cities. They can do all sorts of stuff. They they refer to us as a uh, mother may I state. Cities can't even pass a referendum. Can't even put it up to the voters without state legislature approval. And then you got the governor, right? Uh, he of the 800-something-day emergency order that gave him all of these uh, powers, which the legislature finally reined in. But, I mean, Cooper might very well have been, like, the most powerful governor ever because of that executive order in COVID, um, in, at least in North Carolina. Well, Jim Hunt. I mean, yeah, there was a guy, Jim Hunt, who ran... Did two, did two terms and then came back and did another two terms. Just it didn't say technically you can't do, you can't separate it out. <laughs> you can run for multiple two terms. Anyway, um, so you got Roy Cooper, but he can veto stuff. But if the legislature flips to a supermajority, and look, Roy Cooper has been very effective at keeping fellow Democrats in the legislature in line. And even though, for example, uh, the voter ID law that was passed, had bipartisan support, had five Democrats sign on in support. And then when Governor, uh, uh, I almost called him Governor Vito. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. Governor Cooper vetoed it. Then you had those Democrats flip. So they, they, they voted to pass the thing. But then when the veto came down, they would not go against their governor. And one of them actually said that, that he's a governor for my party and I'm not going to go against him. That's how Cooper keeps his lawmakers in line and and uh, and that's politics right so because you can't advance your agenda through the legislature and cooper in this state you know governors are very weak they it's not a strong governor model in our state because of the civil war and all that but whatever so they have they have a weak governor system that leaves the courts and so as the legislature passes stuff they get sued at every turn. This is the Sue Till Blue strategy. This is what, uh, again, uh, Hal Weatherman told the story right here on WBT that time uh, about um, when he went up to Philadelphia with Dan Forrest, the lieutenant governor. And people thought that they were Democrats because Cooper was a Democrat. And they thought that, well, Cooper just got elected and he's lieutenant governor. And they thought it was a, it was a, uh, a slate you know, like a president, vice president kind of a slate. And so Terry McAuliffe, governor of Virginia, Ed Rendell, governor of Pennsylvania, 
confided, quote-unquote, talked about what the strategy was going to be about the lawsuits on uh, redistricting and voter ID. And they said, it doesn't matter if we, if we win. It would, it's nice if we win some of the cases, but that's not the point. The point is to call the GOP racists. That's the point. That's it. And why is that the point? Because electorally speaking, right, you have a better chance of convincing a core group of your uh, base voters that the other party hates you if they believe this narrative. And you get some court cases filed and you make these accusations and maybe you get some activist judges to sign on to your crazy crackpot theories and they find things inside the Constitution to let you win the case. Now you have proof. We have a court ruling now and you can advance legislation that way. You can write law. It's a, it's a, yeah, I mean, it, it's an activist court. So maybe that's why the court seems to be more politicized. I wonder if that has occurred. I wonder if that, because I, I, I consume a lot of state media. I do. I, I read a lot of WRAL, News and Observer, McClatchy Papers, Carolina Journal. I don't read Cardinal and Pine because that's just, uh, those are just news releases. Uh, that's a, that's one of those fake news operations that uh, the left is oh so concerned about undermining democracy. Mecklenburg Herald is another one. We've got a, another one here. They, they popped up a, a bunch of these fake news outlets that are essentially propaganda organs for the left. But I've never seen people make the argument that the court in North Carolina is being politicized because the left is suing and rewriting law. And that's undermining credibility in the courts. Maybe nobody's thought of it.